Good morning, church. My name is Leslie Soilis, and we have the privilege of hearing from one another during this next um, sermon series about uh, specific work experiences that members of our own family uh, go off to uh, every day. So I would love to have the two of you introduce yourselves and also tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Hi, I'm Jeff, and this is Ming. Um, we both work at Worcester Academy. I teach uh, Mandarin Chinese, Ming teaches English, um, and we both work as dorm parents, which means that we're sort of RAs in our residential life system. So we have been learning that work is a gift to us from God. I would like your perspective on how your work brings you joy and pleasure. So uh, when I think about the gift of teaching, I think about how fun it is to work with my students all day long. They, I sometimes succeed in making them laugh, and I usually always laugh at them. So that's always fun. Um, and I love seeing their successes and breakthroughs and having epiphanies as they're reading literature. So it's great. Um, so having done some jobs before being a teacher, I really appreciate being able to be creative and to work with people from day to day, um, especially getting to see the development of young people. Uh, I teach middle school and high school, and working in the dorm also really enables me to see um, a lot of the things that happen in these young people's lives. We're also learning, though, that because of the fall, work has been profoundly affected. So tell me how you see the effects of the fall in your work life. So I think uh, one of the most profound ways we've seen the fall in teaching is actually through uh, the authority that I've been given over students. I question how much authority I should be given at times. Uh, but also just the very uh, real facts of our emotions and day-to-day -day tiredness or frustration might affect interactions with very precious students. Um, and uh, how students perceive authority also is constantly um, interacting with our relationship. So trying to um, deal with those effects of the fall is definitely something that I think about daily. Um, when it comes to the education of young people, uh, there are lots of opinions out there. It's, um, you know, parents, students have opinions about their own education, teachers, of course, and administrators. Um, Sometimes those opinions can lead to innovations and good practice, but sometimes they cause strife, whether it be between um, students and teachers or colleagues or um, however. We also know, though, that that was not the final word, that Christ has come, he offers redemption. Share with us how you're seeing that redemptive activity of the Lord in the work that you do. Um, I think that an important thing to remember while teaching is that it's not just um, about learning facts and um, skills, but also about building character. Uh, and uh, that's something that's really hard to do. It's harder than the teaching of the skills and the facts, but um, when it really sort of happens, when you see it happen, whether it be like roommates resolving a dispute um, by talking to one another instead of yelling at one another, or um, students working on a group project together and actually doing it successfully. Um, that's really beautiful. 
Um, I try very hard to model what I think trustworthy authority looks like. Um, and I want to be the first person to apologize to my students um, if I've done something wrong or and to fix those relationships and to check in with them to make sure that um, my words uh, didn't impact them the wrong way. Uh, and I also, uh, I think bring redemption into the classroom when I have them acknowledge where they may have fallen short and not done the reading or checking their cell phones in class, uh, but also provide a lot of grace afterwards and say that um, I'm still trying to affirm their identity and our relationship. Well, I just want to thank you both for being teachers. I think everybody in this room will agree that the work you do is beyond important. And I just want to take a moment to lift you, lift you up in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for all the teachers in this room. I thank you for Jeff and Ming and the incredible work uh, that they do on behalf of the students. I just ask you would continue to press your favor into the work they do. Lord, the work of their hands, the words of their mouth, Lord, I pray would just know your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. All right, let's take the remaining time that we have and look at this subject of calling. Now, before I do that, I'm going to throw up a, a number of words on the screen and just to let you react to the words. They're all related to job and work and just kind of see what comes up in you as you contemplate these words. Let me say them out loud for you. Work. <laughs> job. Labor. Occupation career, vocation, calling. They all kind of blend together into one word that comes to my mind, hug! You know, it's, they, they, they kind of all, they're all sort of the same thing to many of us, the way we think about it. Um, and uh, it can be confusing. So today what we want to do is kind of pull out in particular that word calling because many of you are struggling, especially our young adults that are starting to really look to the future. You're in college, you're thinking about this. The whole concept of calling and, and mission now is a bigger concept than just for Christian young adults. Uh, colleges are broadly are getting young adults to think about you know, finding that perfect place where you're making the world a better place and all that stuff. And, and calling can get mixed up into all this upward mobility and career and all these different things. I, I want to, for a while, separate it from the rest of those words because your calling in Jesus is distinct from whatever job or work you end up doing. And if you understand your calling, it will radically transform whatever you end up doing uh, for your work. Now, the word vocation, go back to the list again. The word vocation uh, was a similar thing. Uh, we're very used to that word now. We use it commonly for any type of profession, but particularly for the trades, the school up the hill, the excellent Worcester Technical High School's vocational technical high school. Uh, and so that's a very common word now, but it was not common until the Reformation. Did you know that? Martin Luther was the one that made the word vocation common for the people. 
Before that, the word vocation was used pretty exclusively for those that had decided to work in the church for their lives, priests, nuns, and the like. That was a vocation. It was sort of like this special elite class of service. And then Luther comes along, and most of us think of the Reformation through a single impact, and that was the recovery of the gospel of salvation by grace through faith, not of works. But actually, it was a culturally transformative movement, and to no small degree, because Luther preached a theology of vocation that elevated the work of the common people. And it was so dramatic to the culture that even the arts eventually were influenced by it. Some of the great uh, painters after the Reformation, if you look at the shift, they, they, they catch pastoral scenes, scenes of common, everyday working people, which they never did before the Reformation. It was always the people that were the elite, the upper class, and, and those kind of things. Because Luther's theology correctly helped us understand that all work in the blessed work of God has value. I'm going to try to paraphrase uh, one of his quotes. He spoke in German, so I suppose my translation is probably as good as anybody's. But what he said essentially was, a milkmaid milking a cow can worship the Lord as well as a preacher in the pulpit. Now, that may seem commonplace for you, but in that day, that was radical. And so you actually have Martin Luther to thank for the fact that we use vocation so broadly to talk about our work. Now, a word that is similar for us today as Christians that we have used in some ways wrongly, like was being, vocation was being used in Luther's day, is that word calling. We tend to use it as sort of an elite thing. Christians say, I received a calling from the Lord. It was usually to some sort of specialized ministry. And, and we, we have those that are seeking credentials for ministry, licensing or ordination, give testimony to their calling to ministry. And those are valid, but, but we use it almost exclusively as sort of like this special elite thing. And I want you to understand that the biblical concept of calling is that every single one of you have it. We are all called. I am not called above you in any way. We all have a calling, and it shapes everything we do, yes, including our work, but it is not our work. And so we're going to look at that today. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 for just a few minutes, please. Turn with me. It's page 827 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to look at the first 10 verses of it and draw out some understanding about our calling as Christians according to the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 2. You follow along as I read. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the world, of uh, the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if you've come at this passage for the very first time and you're really paying attention to it, you may feel a little confused by those final verses. Because at one point it says our relationship with Jesus isn't based on works, but then it goes on and says, and you were created for works. Which is it? You know, chicken or the egg? Which is it? So we're going to cover that in a little bit, but in order to do that, we need to understand the first section. Now, in the beginning verses of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is continuing and summarizing uh, what he has already taught in the first chapter. And the first chapter is some of the most... Um, debated and profound language in all of the Bible about God's sovereign work in bringing us into relationship with Him. Now, um, I want to be clear that when I made a decision to follow Jesus, I was making that choice, right? You were. You weren't uh, robotically induced into it. We just had folks baptized here. They chose that decision to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. And by the way, we're having a baptism. It's, it's over by now at the Quinsig Village today. And we had three people there get baptized, and maybe more, because you know how that goes sometimes at the journey. And the water was a lot warmer over there. A little jealous. A little jealous. Paul got to do it. But anyway, uh, the, you, you, that's a decision we made, right? I felt a need Somebody introduced me to Jesus, I said, I need that, and I made a conscious decision to surrender to him. But the Bible also says that all along, God was sovereignly at work calling us to himself. He gets credit for it. He reached out to us, and the language in Ephesians 1 is profound. It goes all the way back to before creation itself began. God had us in mind. He knew us. He predestined us and he called us, you see. That's the, the language that Paul is now summarizing in the first part of this verse, that God has clearly called us. We haven't done it. Our salvation is not based on us and our effort. It's based on God's call and God's work in Christ. It's very powerful. But then he goes on now, and having made that final conclusion about our salvation, because it's really God's work from first to last, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. But then, why this verse right after that then? It, it's, it can be confusing. Well, the point here is that while I cannot do anything to come into relationship with God because of my sin, God had to do that work. He called me into relationship with himself. Now, as his child, because I was created for work, I get to release that purpose under his rule and authority. I get to fulfill what we learned last week through Paul is in our nature to do, which is work with God in his creation, 
with the work of our hands and the words of our mouth. So that's what he's getting at here. Now, we further go, and he goes to, um, let's see, did I lose place here? Am I jumping to this verse too soon? There we go, Ephesians 4. So later on in the chapter, and later on in the book, he says this as he begins to apply the theology he's taught in the first three chapters. Let's say this together. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, plead with you to lead... Yeah. Say that underlined word again. Lead a life worthy of your calling. For you, that's plural. In the Pennsylvania Dutch country, it's yunzes have been called by God. And so we get to live a life worthy of that. And so here's the summary of that about our calling. First of all, God calls us to himself in Christ and out of that into a life of doing good work that he prepared long ago for us to do. Now, what does that mean? If it's work that God prepared long ago, before he even said, let there be light, what does he mean by that work? Well, I think of two categories of work. First is the work of creation. God created, and as we learned last week, we are to participate in that work. All of your work, still today, even in a fallen world, God's systems for our work that help us thrive, help us take care of ourselves, help us create and do beautiful things and to discover, all of that is still at work today. And now as God's children, we get to do it as new creations. We get to do it the way he intended because we're under his rule now. But then there's a second category of God's work, and that's not creation, it's new creation. Recreation. Also before the foundations of the world, God knew that there would come a point where his creation would need to be recreated. He had a plan in mind, and it was Jesus. And he invites us now to be a part of that. In fact, we're products of his work. Paul says to the church at Corinth, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation a new work of God, the old is gone, the new has come, but then he invites us to be part of that work by calling us ambassadors for Christ, calling others to be reconciled to God, and doing our work in such a way that we are helping him bring all things under Christ's feet, reconciling all things to himself and making all things new. And that leads us to the second part of this calling, and that is our calling is to worship God through our work and work with him in his work of creation and recreation. Now, I don't know. I'm not a jobs counselor. I'm going to tell you I have held probably 12 jobs in my life. I have now lived for six decades and counting probably held 12 jobs. Now, in most of those settings, it was in what we would call Christian ministry, but they were different jobs. Trust me. I was a full-time traveling musician and recording artist. I was a youth worker. 
right? I was a worship leader. Then I, then I was a, a, a caregiver. I was over a care net ministry. I coordinated a care net. And now I'm a senior pastor. Those are all very different jobs. And I'm going to tell you, every time I was doing a job, I thought, this is it. This is the one. My calling. My life's work. I'm doing it right now. I'll slap that guy silly. You know, I was looking to like hang my hat. No, but through all of those different careers and jobs, I have pursued one calling supremely that I could do and you need to do even now as your students. Some of you have one more exam left. You're doing kingdom work in that. You can do it in a way that is contributing to, it's about how you go about doing it. It's about, it's about fulfilling this work of worshiping God and then using it somehow to work with him by fulfilling my role as creating with him but then also participating in his recreation. Does that make sense? That is your calling. Take a look at it. So what is it that should be on your LinkedIn summary statement? What do you do? I'll tell you what I do. I make things new. I make things new. That's the company I work for. It's the kingdom of God. See, we all get to participate that in that. And so Paul goes on. Let's go back to that verse, Colossians chapter 3. And let's uh, look at it one more time. Whatever you do now, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. What a great description of how we need to go about our jobs, our work, our careers, our duties. Whatever meaningful or what apparently feels like unmeaningful work, all of it finds meaning and value when we do it as though unto the Lord, for it is him that we are serving. Now, how many of you know the book of Colossians well enough to know what particular demographic of the workforce of their day Paul was addressing? Who knows? Father Len? Yeah. Slaves. He's writing to slaves. Now, The slaves of that day were not like the horrific evil of slavery in in our history. Uh, And so I don't want in any way to equate them. But slavery, if you were not a Roman citizen, you were a slave, which meant pretty much the whole workforce, the professional force, they technically did not own rights to their their livelihood. But that doesn't, doesn't mean they didn't work well and work hard. Doctors, you know, professors... And the like were all slaves if they weren't citizens. And the citizens didn't do any work. You know, they just kind of pursued what they wanted. That's why the whole bread and circus thing started that, that proved the end of the Roman Empire. Because they were not doing meaningful work. They thought to be the owners, to be the masters of the world meant to not work. They didn't get that. That's not how it goes. And so Paul's actually writing to the working class here. And there's another interesting passage that we will not turn to today for sake of time, but let me give it to you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul is just wrestling with this church now that is comprised of both slaves and owners 
of Jewish people and un-Jewish, of Gentiles, of a whole mixture of people. And they are all one in Christ now, right? Because now, as Paul says, in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. And he's struggling with the fact that we're supposed to live out this life as citizens of the kingdom in a, a culture that while we ought to be trying to work to bring about change in that culture, the reality is until Jesus comes in his fullness, class struggle will be present in every society. And no matter what your favorite governmental system is right now, whether you're left or right or capitalist or whatever, as, as long as broken people are running them, you're going to end up with slaves and masters. It doesn't matter. And if you look at history, you'll find that's true no matter what organizational structure. So, so even if you're migrating towards a different way of running our government, that's not going to solve it either. That we will always have this, this stratification as long as broken people are running the world. Where does that stratification disappear? Here. Neither Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. All one in Christ. All called to one baptism, called to one faith, called to one mission. You see how it works? So this is where we bring that about. And somehow we have to figure out a way to both work for change, to use the the systems that are available to us, uh, whether they're political engagement or educational engagement or civic dialogue, whatever's available, we need to be a part of that. But we need to recognize that while we're working towards that, That's no excuse for not right now working where you are, doing what you're doing in a way that you're working with God to extend his kingdom. Because that's your calling right now, no matter what. All right? Yeah. Implications, quickly. Implications of our calling. What this means is all work is kingdom work. Whether you're laying down pavement, or listening to your patient's heart, or working on your class, or raising your kids, or doing daycare, or leading a corporation, or looking for a work. That's work. It's work looking for work. And even that is kingdom work that you should be doing as an agent of God's work on earth. All work is for God and to God. And what that means is that this whole secular versus sacred divide is a myth. There's no such thing. For you and me as children of God, all work is sacred work. My work, your work. Dirty work, cleaning work. Hands work, head work. It's all sacred. Take pride in what you do. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And join him so that his kingdom comes through it. And all work has eternal value and purpose. That's what Paul means at the end of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. After he goes on, he he paints this beautiful conversation about why Christ's resurrection proves that we will live, that our life is transformed because Jesus lives and we will live forever and death is swallowed up in victory. In other words, death isn't the end. 
The sting of death has been taken away because of the resurrection. And this is how he concludes that whole argument. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Always work enthusiastically as for the Lord because we know that our labor is not in vain. There isn't a thing that you do as a child of God when you operate under your calling that doesn't have eternal value. No matter how unseen it is by men, how menial it appears, it all matters, and it is not in vain.